Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands for a long time after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We are broadcasting from Redfern right now, the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You are listening to Race Matters. This is a show made by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. It started about four years ago as a little segment on breakfast, uh, which lasted 15 minutes. We had uh, two other hosts with us, and um, Sarah Khan and I were uh, two of those four hosts. We've since come a long way. Sarah Khan sits across me right now and has been sitting across me every week for those four years, bringing us uh, conversations, stories, ideas, um, resistances in ways that I've never heard on the radio before. And if you're listening now, maybe you've been touched by the conversations that Sarah and I have had over the past four years as well. Today, we say farewell to Sarah uh, as she moves on to um, new territories, um, new modes of life, um, a new stage in her being and her resistance. Sarah, um, how do you feel? Oh, I was fine, and then you just gave that <laughs> intro, and now I'm a bit choked up. <laughs> it's a celebration, it more is. than anything. Um, which, um, you know, it's such an interesting thing. Like we uh, on radio, especially, we we get to know these voices as listeners so intimately, and over such a long time that they just become ingrained in our um, understanding of radio, and understanding of FBI, and understanding of ourselves. That it's such a weird feeling to say goodbye to a voice mm. because that's a part of you that you no longer have with you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, um, radio is like, is a medium, you know, it's archived. Like you still live on in the recordings of the show that we do or in the legacy of the people that will follow you. And also with me and with our executive producer, Sharika, who will mm. stay on as well. So I see it as a celebration. I hope you feel celebratory as well. I feel, I do feel celebratory. I feel more than anything this morning, very grateful that... This is something I don't think anyone can say that they could have been a part of something like we've had the privilege of um, being a part of this team and um, this space. And I think that's what I woke up with this morning was that I was like, this is like really rare. Like I, the, the feelings that I'm feeling, I think I should be as much as they're like really sor sor filled with sorrow. <laughs> Um, I was messaging Darren last night and I was like, I'm not okay. I'm sitting at the Thai restaurant right now waiting for my takeaway and I'm crying. <laughs> but then at the same time, I'm like, oh, it's a real privilege to feel those things. It's a real privilege to have um, the type of ending that we're kind of experiencing right now and to be able to look back on the last four years and where we started, how we've grown um, how I've grown, my lens and my perspective on things, I think, grew 
um, immensely because of this show. I don't know who I am without this show in the like over the last chapter. Like I really don't know who I would have been without this show, and I am so incredibly grateful for it. Um, I'm trying to not go too deep at the moment because I feel like I will cry. Mm. Um. <laughs> well, we have a lot of time to go deeper uh, in the show, but we're also going to hear. We're also here to listen to some of the incredible music that we've been able to highlight and play mm. and um, you know dance to in the studio. Let's oh, start with this one. I knew you would. <laughs> it needs a language warning. It's Tasman Keith and Love Too Soon. Love you while I'm living. Always with the linen yeah. Left you in a feeling yeah. Now I know you ain't committed But when I think about you up in my room I gotta hold you to and baby tonight hey. I can see us too on something new Oh when you come through and make it tonight My name is Dobby and this is a message for Sarah Khan. This is her last show on the Race Matters show at FBI and I just wanted to give you a shout out because, you know, the show is what it is and continues to be what it is because of you. So thank you. We thank you. Um, we all thank you for your energy and your wisdom and your um, the blood, sweat and tears that you've put into each and every episode at Race Matters with Darren Um the the space that it continues to be for mob and POC, you know, to be able to express themselves and, and our shared experiences, um, your work and contribution does not go unnoticed. And I'm so proud of you and all the things that you're going to be doing that you're doing already and that you'll continue to, to be doing after this. It's just amazing to see. So just a shout out to you. We are all so proud of you. We love you. Um, we'll miss you. And, uh, yeah, hope to catch up with you soon. Biggest love to you, Sarah. Take care. That was Dobby, a.k.a. Ryan Clapham, who was one of the four hosts of Race Matters when we started the show uh, four years ago. Um, Sarah's looking a bit lost for words, so I'll keep talking. Unless you want to say something. <laughs> no, I don't. I wasn't expecting that, so that was really, really filled my heart up. Oh, Ryan! I keep forgetting that, like, He's Dobby. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll be like, Dobby, and people will be like, who? And I'm like, Ryan. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then I'll say, Ryan, and like, who? I'm like, Dobby. Oh, God. Did him and his interchangeable names. Yeah. Um, oh, Ryan slash Dobby. I love you. <laughs> So as I said before, we started this show um, on uh, a 15-minute kind of segment, um, you know, four years ago mm. on Brecky here at FBI. And, um, I mean, it kind of made sense for the time because we were babies. Like, we were yeah. babies. Yeah. And, you know, the conversations have only grown and grown and grown and the space that mm. we not only required but demanded for this show. Yeah. Um, became very apparent to what was important to what we were doing and holding the space that Dobby was talking about. Can you think back to 
those early days and 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 when 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 do you think there was a moment where you were like this needs to be bigger than what it is right now oh i think like the first moment the first time i got to be in here because i think we were all so invested in having a space where we could have like i remember us always saying like we want to be able to talk about the things that we talk about in our safe spaces in the comfort of our homes we want those conversations to exist somewhere where they can go unfiltered with no policing no tone policing particularly as well and it they can just live unapologetically as they are, how they live and breathe in the spaces that we, you know, consider safe for us as well. And we were so determined to have build a safe space for that and so determined to ensure that our guests felt that as well. That was the biggest thing that I remember is wanting to have people walk into the space and shed um, everything that the colony expects of them, shed the code switching and just come in and find comfort and find ease that feels right for them as well. And seeing it's just been such a, a huge pleasure, like such a huge privilege in certain moments of certain guests where like they come in and you can tell they've come from doing a run of interviews at other places that were not race matters. And they've still got that code switching on. They've still got that, um, you know, how, you know, that presentation that's palatable and then coming in and then them kind of as they're moving through the show realizing that like oh no I can really unfilter myself here and around like the halfway point of the show it just the tone shifts dramatically and it just pours out and then we have that final question of like when did you realize there was power in your race and then they're just like it's it's you know it's it's you can tell that it was it's a real um it's something that felt I, I would, I don't know, maybe I could be wrong in this, but it felt like a gift to be able to have that. It's something that I wish I definitely had growing up and that's what we were so um, invested in creating here. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I remember on this show is like watching people come in and then realising like, oh no, this is, this, I can talk like how I talk with my community here. Mad, let's go. Mm. Um, and having that dawn upon them, it's probably my, my that, probably is the moment where I'm like, oh my God, this is special, what we're doing. If you've just tuned in, this is Race Matters. We're celebrating uh, the end of an era with uh, Sarah Khan here on the show. 0409-945-945. Text in your love um, uh, on, yeah, to us on the text line. Um, here we have a message. You're the absolute best beyond words, Sarah. So, so excited for all the incredible new things you have in your future. Um, and yeah, we heard Tasman Keith at the top of this with Love Too Soon. That was such an iconic interview between you and him. Oh my God, and, I still think about that interview. Yeah, and you have such a way of delving deep with guests, as you said, you know, allowing them to share with vulner vulnerability and, and with ease and particularly for First Nations guests over the years. And um, I want to throw to a bit of an earlier interview that we uh, you had with Nika Gori on the importance of black rage and cultivating self-care. Your writing also like massively resonates with so many black women, both binary, non-binary and trans. And particularly because you take so much of our rage and our passion and our lived experiences and you formulate it into a single sentence that can like really execute the argument and anyone that's opposing it. So how do you get to that place in your writing? Is there a process of your, your own anger and lived experiences before you get it onto the page? Yeah, I feel... I feel like writing is like an outlet for the cold fury that I have all the time at the world. Um, I feel like I live in a constant state of fury, which probably I think a lot of people um, do. Um, so it is, I think anger is one of the most useful emotions when it's like 
employed properly or whatever, I think it's really important to be angry. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I see what writing, oh my God, writing. I've been around too many white people. Um, I see writing as like a, like a kind of weaponry. Um, and I see it as like, I see it as it's like tools for people or weapons for people. Um, or it can also be like comfort or whatever it might be. Um, I think, yeah, definitely the cold fury. And also I feel like sometimes like I'm like sarcastic or really snarky. I think that's important. I don't know. I don't know how, I think definitely when I first started writing, I would write like it wasn't cold. It was hot. It was like very not sexy hot. It was just like a really hot rage. I just wanted, like, if I didn't do it, I would tear my hair out. Mm. Like I needed a place to be angry. And so I think a lot of my earlier writing was that, but now, um, like my writing has changed and it's, it's gotten colder, but it's still furious. Um, it can, I, I feel like if I'm not passionate, I feel like anger is my motivator. So if I'm not passionate about whatever it is and I, I I don't know if I can finish if I can actually finish the thing mm. but I think sometimes and like behind that anger I was gonna I was I was about to say like it would be nice to come from a place of love to do something because you love it but then I realized actually I think behind that anger is love like a love of like people and country and so actually like anger is love I don't know <laughs> it is I 110% agree with that statement that like a lot of our anger is coming from a place where we're, we're like, our anger isn't essentially about us. It's always about, you know, for our people, mm. you know, and if we don't say something, we have to put those voices out there for our people. And so that the younger mob as well mm. can listen to what's being said, because there's so much horrible content out there and um, policies and actions on the streets and everything in the way that we live and how we're housed and, um, our health everything and how we're Mm. policed you know and just in the schools as well that if you know we're not being angry about it then we have it's a form of loving ourselves and loving our mob yeah you're right you're right it is it, it is it is that I think also I just I think so many I think particularly black women probably all women actually but not all women. Um, I think <laughs> especially for black women, there is no space for our anger. There is nowhere to put it. It where, you know, if we, I just feel like we have to be so stitched up all the time and have to be like kind of not lose it because of where we exist in the white imagination. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I don't know. Writing can be really logical, but it's also like quite a passionate thing as well. Yeah, and it's like you said before, it's a, it's a weapon um, for our own kind of outlet for when we do go through those experience, like in non-for-profit orgs. Mm. Like what got me through a lot of those times was my own writing too. Yeah, cool. Yeah, or listening to other writers, you know. I think listening to um, other black writers and their own process is definitely very kind of calming Mm. in your own experiences healthy self-care um yeah i i like to now that i'm back at uni as well i like to not be online i'm really thinking about like getting off facebook and getting off like instagram would be really hard 
and Twitter. I don't know. I think that's important. I think it's important to, I know that the internet is really important to a lot of people and it is for me, but like, I think it's kind of forget how to live in the real world. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's a big part of it, getting offline and like on any given day at, at any given time, there is an injustice happening in this country. There's cops like storming into a black house. There are kids being taken from their families. There's so much to be angry about. Um, but you can't be useful if you're burnt out and if mm. you're whatever. So I try to try to I all I ever want to do is be useful. So it's yeah. I try to log off and I have a puppy, Ned. I love her so much. I go hiking a little bit um, and also have like really solid group of like family and friends. Um, And I spend as much time as I can around mob because Mm. I actually think that's the most important thing that we can do. That's Sarah Khan speaking with Nate Gori on Race Matters here on FBI 94.5. We're revisiting some of the moments um, Sarah Khan has had with the amazing guests that we bring through on the show as we celebrate the the end of Sarah's uh, time here at Race Matters. Sarah, you said that this is a conversation you think about often. What's that like? Oh, I, th- I even just then when we were listening back to it, I was there was that moment there when, when Nayuka was talking about... Um, you can't like your your anger isn't effective if you're essentially pouring from an empty cup um and you have to care for yourself in order to care for your community and when they were saying that back i was like "Mm, that's so true (laughs) still hitting for me it's still it's resonating still like there's so many i think i always go back to nayuka's conversation because there was so much that they gifted me in that conversation that i employ in my own growth now since since that um yarn which was in 2019 um there's still this I don't know if I really was like was listening not listening to it but like everything was um being received but not in the way that I needed to receive it at the time and I think the way I've grown over the last couple of years everything that Noika was saying I'm receiving it again in a different way um, and I think that's why it's such a it's that conversation. I always, I just always think about because there were so many things in it that Noyuka was saying that I'm just like, oh, I hear that different now. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about race matters. Like, it's become such a resource, and you know, something. This idea that we talk about a lot on the show is like being in relationship with things. Like, things don't just happen in a vacuum and then they're done. Mm. Like in the way that we listen to Noyuka and you talk from 2019, we're hearing it in a different way because now we've everything you were talking about, we've lived it again yeah. and again and again again and again and learn so much more since then and it's giving us something new every time you listen to it yeah and that's a testament to like you and like the conversations that you're able to bring out and the and the life and the offerings that you're able to give to the guests as well like and our listeners um you know are uh, also brought up in your journey as well. Mm. Um, 0409-945-945. Tal in Marrickville says, Sarah, outstanding and unbelievable legacy. Thank you for all your love and passion. All the best. Yeah. Um, 
945 if you'd like to reach out and send Sarah your best wishes. And yeah, that Naoka chat is such a great example of the importance of, of friendship and loving so fiercely in the world. Another interview that we thought about um, revisiting was the one you had with Nessa Turnbull. Oh, Roberts. Nessa's one was a lot. <laughs> It was that was a hard, not a hard one to get through, but I just think about Nessa's chat sometimes, and I'm like, wow, I was really on the brink of tears all the way through that chat. Well, let's listen to it on that. Oh, great. <laughs> um, yeah, you talk about taking up space in elite spaces like um, like universities, how to create safer spaces, connections, and the power of protest movements. That's something that a lot of people tend to forget is that black people when we go into these colonial spaces like they're quite they're they're violent spaces they're culturally violent spaces because they say you know like come here and then you're successful you know but in order to become successful at our um standard at what we want you have to forget your image you have to assimilate yourself and so to have like safe people around you that was something that i always kind of kept around myself when i was Mm -hmm. at university as well was that i always like my mum was like thank god for my mum because she always pushed that on me you know keep safe people around you be very picky about who you keep around you and um especially with the type of conversation class that no one else wanted to touch on yeah and so i had to really be careful about the people that i had in my space but it's not something that's really touched on enough and that is that safe Mm. space and it's um i think a lot of our young people when they go into those types of colonial spaces as well don't um understand that they have a right to that safeness Mm -hmm. as well and a lot of these spaces are also kind of i feel like our universities are encroaching in on spaces that were set up for black people to have those safe spaces like our indigenous and yeah. separated out into other departments and now they don't yeah. yeah and so even still that fight is still ongoing and a lot of people don't see that they think that like university is a space is a space for progressive forward-thinking people but it's it's, right. it's actually a very culturally violent space for our people don't you reckon no i absolutely i absolutely agree it can it can turn violent um and i you know when i hear things like the university of sydney shut down their indigenous space um without talking too much of of run, running it down but that's where charlie perkins that's right. He started a, mm. a massive movement. Why aren't we proud of that? Mm. Why aren't we amplifying? Why aren't we amplifying the Charlie Perkins? Why aren't we amplifying these voices where ultimately they had connections to these institutions? That again was another way to divide us and particularly enhance white privilege and marginalise black people even more. But why aren't we looking at places like the University of Sydney where we have incredible warriors that have protest movements mm. um, and being proud of that? Um, you know, one thing when I'm when I'm talking to a lot of young people and children is I remind them that it's our right to be at university and it's their privilege to have us there. 100%. Um, and I don't know if it was the same for you, sis, but when you're in class, um, and I particularly found this with uh, law subjects and I found it with some of my, my social work subjects, um, when you're reading cases or you're reading stories and you know the family or you know the people, and being blackfellas, we know last names, we know families, we know communities, we know where they're from, and all I'm thinking in my head is, do these individuals and families know that their voices are being used mm. in the classroom context? Are they being compensated for every time their name is mentioned? Are they being compensated for being in this textbook now? When researchers are going out there and they're taking our knowledge and they're taking our pain and they're taking our traumas and they're contextualising that into a textbook, mm. for us to pay, what, 250 or so dollars for a book, yeah. and this is times so many people doing that course, 
is that community and that family and that individual being funded every time? Do they know that they're being spoken about? Do they know where that's being used? Um, and I think in the midst of whilst universities can be violent spaces, um, there's also a potential opportunity as mm. well. It does create that opportunity where we can, you know, have those degrees where we can walk into this line of those two worlds and be able to challenge the systemic the systemic pressures that we are faced with because our old people were fighting for exactly that. Yep. For us to be able to go into the same movies, for us to be able to go into the cinemas, for us, sorry, cinemas, pools, universities. But it's what I, it's like what I just said before, sis. We need to remember to come back out. Yes. Because those institutions were not necessarily built for us in our core spirit. They are buildings, they are division, um, and we are collective. We are yep. collective healing, collective love, and we need to remember that. One of the spaces that we have where we can hear ourselves we can hear each other Mm. and we can push our voices forward is that space of protest yeah and it's really unfortunate that um we have to protest you know before um the boats arrived here before um 1788 1770 before 250 years of cook protesting wasn't a part of our culture but Mm -hmm. it is a part of our culture now and it's really sad that you know we don't get to utilize this we don't have the safe space of just submitting a complaint and trusting that the system will do justice Mm. by us you know we have to galvanize and move together and you have a really strong hand in mobilizing those movements forward and creating that space for our voices to come in collectively together and be heard and so how do you um navigate that kind of space like what would be the initial kind of approach that you take in terms of organizing that movement and organizing that space and making sure that it is a space that is ultimately safe and done appropriately you know sis the first thing that i do is i sit Mm-hmm. I sit and I and I and I be really still, um, and I get consent, and I yeah. don't get consent by what's here and what we see. Um, I get consent by those ancestors, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that as First Nations people, we have that privilege to go and access when we need to gather that consent together. We can just ask those old fellas, is it something that I'm meant to be carrying? Is it something that I'm meant to be doing? Is this right for me? Is it not my space? Is it not? Because part of I feel part of leadership um, and collective care and collective love. Um, It's knowing when to step back and it's knowing who to speak to. We need to remember as First Nations people, we have that access to tune into those old Mm -hmm. fellas, but you have to reground. And it goes back to what we were yarning about before, removing ourselves from these institutional spaces and coming back down. Um, The second thing I do is I actually ask the people that are here, um, those safe people that I was talking to you about. Um, We were never... I feel, and, and, and this might be different for other people, um, but I, I don't necessarily make decisions as an individual. I always make it as a collective. Mm. So I go and ask the safe people that I know and then I call my elders and I call the elders that have taught me stuff and I say, is this something that we can do? Is it appropriate? Is it not? Um, and I gather that information and then I make my decision after that. Um, in regards to mobilising and, I guess, leading, you know, I say it all the time, organising to decolonising. Yeah. Um, the first and foremost priority for me when it comes to protest movements is healing. Um, because you're right, sis, we did not have protests and fighting natures and aggressive natures, and we still don't have those natures necessarily um, prior to invasion. We weren't violent people. They raised their guns, we raised our hands. Mm-hmm. We held shields. We had no idea what was going on, yep. but we felt what was going on. Um, so when I reflect and I think of that, I think of, well, 
that's intergenerational trauma that's being passed down to our children now. That's intergenerational trauma being passed down to our kids. It's betrayal trauma, which is state trauma, um, and it's trauma that's going to be amplified when we come together for these protests. Mm. Another example of some incredible uh, conversations that Sarah Khan has held here, that one with Nessa Turnbull Roberts here on Race Matters on FBI 94.5. We're saying farewell to Sarah after four years and we're revisiting some of the moments that, uh, I mean, all the moments define who we are as radio presenters and who this show is, but some of the ones that really stuck with us over the years. Sarah, how has Race Matters played a part in strengthening your existing connections? Ooh, oh my God, I feel like it's the centre of it. I feel like it's really the strongest grip I've got right now to how I connect with the current spaces that I'm in um, and what I bring to my own relationships, what I bring to my creative outlets, um, how I move through, how I emotionally regulate myself. (laughs) as well has been a huge part of that um i was just thinking before as well that um race matters really kind of taught me how to be soft <laughs> like 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 to really cherish like, cuz i'm an emotional person like i'm like i sound like you know uh, i can't swear but like you know i can i come across with a hard exterior but like i'm a cancer i'm a huge sook it doesn't take much for me to like i feel everything a lot and sometimes those feelings can be really really overwhelming and sometimes how i've um projected my feelings have never have not really been productive and i think like a lot of race matters like we always talk about coming into race matters and it really functioning as just a, even a healing space for us of whatever we've gone through during the week and it's really shown me how to um embrace my emotions and not feel shame for my softness and not feel shame for my heavy feelings that I get from time to time. Like there's such a thing on, you know, particularly black women having to be, we talk about it a lot of like, you know, we have to be strong. We have to have a hard exterior. It's about armor. It's about protection. Also because we're not safe enough to really be our unfiltered self and we're not safe enough to really show what we're really feeling. We have to be so measured. Um, And I think race matters has really gifted, like shown me how to have a really nice balance between when I'm feeling everything and, you know, when I'm processing everything and not feeling shame for whatever it is I am feeling. Because I think I used to have a lot of that before I did this show. And the show really, yeah, kind of taught me um, to shed shed that shame and to feel really proud of my feelings. And that feeling, like, to feel things is a privilege. So, yeah. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's something that you share with me and with, you know, Sharika, who produced the show, mm. with Tanya, who's produced the show in the past, and everyone oh who listens as well. Yeah, oh, my God. I think, like, that's the been the big... That's really right there is, like, you, Sharika, and Tanya is what's massively gifted me that. <laughs> um, oh, my God, I really don't know what type of person I would be without you three. <laughs> You're listening to Race Matters right now. We're saying farewell to Sarah, and we'll be back with some more tears, laughs... Mm. This is your life type beat after this <laughs> from Barker. This is Groovy. Oh, yes, Groovy! Got my groove back, bitch, I'm groovy. I'm a monument, you can never move me. I like when haters talk, find it real soothing. That's a lullaby, lullaby for Groovy. Bring it back, this a bad apple music. I ain't fucking with these hunts because they don't know how to do it. Keep it real groovy and I always keep it moving. When they came for my neck, I stuck it down real ruthless. Barker to the B, big to the my cousin. Then I do what I wanna because I killed all my husbands. Now I'm just playing, now I'm just getting started. Rolled up with my butters, we ain't came me for nothing. 
spark when I started. Stars that I fathered. Bastards are starving. Feed these piranhas. Kill them in the bay, now we'll leave them in the harbor. What else could I say? Leave it to bother. Nathan Woodgy Sands here. I want to congratulate Sarah for being an absolute game changer. I want to thank her for all the important conversations and big laughs that she had at Race Matters over the years. Always thought-provoking, always entertaining. Love you, Sarah. Nathan! Oh, tell us about your, your, your connection with Nathan. Me and Nathan used to work together at the Australian Museum. Um, he was also like one of my first friends when I came to the city, um, the city, uh, the big smoke. <laughs> and he and I um, were a part of a really, be- same type of feelings, I guess, that I have with Race Matters is what I feel about the First Nations team at the Australian Museum that was really led and built by Laura McBride, who was now the First Nations director there. Um, and we all got to really be underneath her wing, which was also a massive privilege. And so, yeah, Nathan and I worked there together and then we got to have him on the show here. Nathan has an extensive background in archives, um, in research, in um, his Twitter. Oh, my God. He's a, he's bloody brilliant online as well. Um, Nathan is, yeah, I could I could gush about Nathan all day. I'm a, He's very, yeah, very good friend. Um, yeah, we have some more um, conversations. Oh, maybe one more conversation that we want to touch on before we want to, um, as we kind of near the end of the show and oh. Sarah Khan's final show here on Race Matters. Um, your chat with Glennie. <laughs> uh, such a good example of how you're able to tap into conversations you, you know, you won't hear anywhere else. And that's, that's a running theme of Race Matters. It's what we've been talking about today, like tapping in those conversations and platforming them and hearing them in a context where you wouldn't hear them any other, any other way. Um, but we would hear them in, you know, the dark corners of our friendships with, um, you know, and our, and our family connections. So here's an excerpt of, uh, on you talking about the work uh, that Glennie has been part of, uh, working with young kids titled Beyond the Walls and how storytelling is an act of healing. Yeah, and it's really important as well for these kids to be able to see themselves in those that are guiding them. So how did your identity as like a strong man of culture and being black in Australia guide them to tell their narrative? Yeah, um, I think it was, it was a real shock real shock to to the indigenous um you know the young young mm. indigenous youth inside um because they're not connected with culture you know these look these young people come from you know communities who probably don't have that kind of exposure as well um so when they have you know young or young uh, men and women like myself who were part of the project coming in being proud of who they are to express themselves and their culture it's a really big shock to them and um, they actually, um, when we would, there was one um, little exercise we would do and we would get them all in a circle and the artist would have to go into the centre and they would just say words or call things out and the artist had to respond to it. Every time I did that, they would make me do, all they would make me do was animals. Oh, true. Because they just <laughs> wanted to see me express culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see how They I, were craving would, it. Yeah, exactly. And And that's what our young people are, craving that connection and... Um, you know, they're, they're just hungry for culture. Because it's, it's part of their healing as well. Like a big part of chucking our kids into detention centres is to ensure that they're kind of set up for failure later on in life. It's to kind of set up our people to have a life of constant incarceration and that cycle of trauma. Mm-hmm. And the more you put them in that cycle of trauma, the more they're pushed further and further away from culture. Mm-hmm. And so you guys kind of like 
you know, breaking down those walls and like working within a system that represents the colony, work like represents colonization. Cause like it's hard mm. to dismantle the system itself. And you guys have found a really kind of excellent way to work within the system, but still give these kids the tools to heal, eh? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, over, over the weeks as we, went on building the show and, and they were kind of constructing their own storylines. You know, we were playing with different themes and emotions um, when it came to the cre creation of their storyline because we had three groups all up. Each group was roughly in you know, around 15-minute mark. Mm. Um, so, you know, they created uh, almost a 50-minute work. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just really interesting to see um, them take control and um, just enjoy um, having something in their hands and, and watch their... Um, the creativity come out and um, seeing them express themselves, their characters, their personalities um, and that's what was, you know, made it special for me was just seeing them be themselves. Mm. Yeah. And it would have taught you a lot in return too. Absolutely. Yeah. This project's um, yeah, it's done wonderful things for me as an artist and I've certainly taken a lot from it. Yeah. Yeah. On FBI 94.5, that's a, an excerpt of a conversation that Sarah Khan had with Glennie Thomas uh, for a um, an interview, uh, a episode called Beyond the Walls. I wish we could touch on so many more conversations that you've had here, Sarah, over the years. All of them have contributed immensely to the show and to our listenership and to our journeys with this show. Um, I would say a pretty important part of this journey has been one person who joins us in the studio with us right now uh she brought us all together as mm, hosts mm. and she produced the show for um years uh before sharika uh took on uh you know in in the past year tanya ali welcome back to the race matters hi thanks for having me <laughs> mom <laughs> mom's back guys <laughs> Tanya, how does it feel being in the studio now looking back on the four years of Race Matters? Oh, it's so wild. I mean, obviously, in the lead up to this episode, Sarah's last, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on the show and, yeah, just thinking back to 2018 when I met you, Sarah, mm. for the first time and we were talking about the show and then, like, earlier this morning I listened back to um, the first voice memo that you sent to, like, introduce yourself uh, and you talked about uh, two moments that uh, made you realize that your race mattered and like I don't know I just I feel like we've obviously grown so much together over the past four and a half years but also listening back to that I'm like but Sarah's also just like was always this like staunch generous warm and like powerful woman and I just I feel so honored to have been any small part of that, like, journey through Race Matters. Oh, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that memo. I remember doing that memo. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I, I think I did it in the dark in, the dark in my room. <laughs> yeah, because I was bumping you the night before, being like, Sarah, please, please. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to do this now, and I was going to go to bed, and then I was like, I'm just going to do it now into my phone. <laughs> So All the times that Tanya's been like, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, I need this. What are you, where I reply. <laughs> um, yeah, it's such a nice feeling reflecting on those times and how much we've grown. But yeah, a reminder that Sarah, you were, you were always this. 
Like, you're always so giving and, as, as Tanya said, so generous with, um, with who you are as a person and sharing your stories. What's something that you'll take away from your time here at Race Matters? Oh, that's a big question. Um, uh, oh, is this really cliche? Like, I don't know, love, I guess, and how to utilise my love and everything that I do next um i think that's what i'm going to be taking from this because i think that's what we always functioned off mm. and what's something that you leave behind um ooh, i don't know how to say it without i'm oh god i'm so bad at this stuff <laughs> and now i know how my how our guests feel yeah. um <laughs> something that i will leave behind um joy I guess like I, I think what I want for the show moving forward is to always seek the joy first and I think my I, to be honest I really think some of my favourite moments have been just me and you Darren talking um, about all of the simple things all of the nuanced things all of the little things those were that those were the the charger for everything else um, one of my favourite chats between you and I I think uh, is the I think it was the cancel culture chat that we did after um, Jordan Peele's Us came out um, back in 2018. I think that will always... I don't know why, just as a, if I was to think of something really personal, that... Because I just remember walking away from that and, like, my gut was sore. Like, we were just busting out laughing the whole time. The room was just filled with so much joy, but also so much staunchness, so much, like, you know, the, the critiques the, the critiques were so hot and the takes were so on the mark and everything. And then the laughter in amongst it all was just so contagious. So, yeah, I think that those, that those are the things that I want to leave behind. When you're in the end of our time on the show today, we have a couple more songs to play before we say our final goodbyes to Sarah. Here's a song that meant a lot to us when it first came yeah. out. This is Maisha and Twisting Words.
This is Race Matters. We're saying farewell to Sada Khan, Sharika Helaludin, and Tanya Ali. Our producers, past and present, are in the studio with us right now. Sharika, you came on, um, you know, in the past year. How has it been getting to know Sarah? Oh, I think, first of all, like, I feel really, feel, like, full of gratitude because I literally wouldn't be here without you, without all of you, Diane and Tanya, but... I I think it's hard to underestimate like how important it is for me to be employed as a woman of color to talk explicitly and about race and anti-racism and embody resistance and care like because of the foundations that you've laid for so many people including myself so I just wanted to say thank you for that and I feel like I'm a little lost for words, to be honest. Um, there's a lot that we can say about all of the content and um, incredible interviews that you've done on this show, but I think a real takeaway for me is how ruthlessly caring and loving you are and how much you've taught me about how, above all, connection is so important in the work that we do, whether it's resisting the colony or any type of anti-oppression, if we don't do that with love and care and looking out for each other in the most kind of like intimate ways, um, why? W- why would we be doing this? And mm. I just wanted to thank you for for teaching me that, among many other things. And what? <laughs> <laughs> I also want to thank you um, for teaching me so many things and sharing so many of, um, with our listeners your wisdom and your knowledge and your your love, which I know you will be leaving behind, as well as your joy. There is one moment that I always think back on when I think about you, Sarah, and it's when we were um, hosting Parabawari at the Opera House. One of the most incredibly... Um, emotional moments of that day well number one the fact that we were doing it in the first place was incredible and it only happened because of this show it all only happened because you know you're part of this show but kobe d had just finished his set the sky was like red it the sun was setting over the harbor and over the harbor bridge and obviously you take to a crowd so effortlessly and coolly and you address the crowd so candidly and you said to the crowd look at the sky it's on fire that's our ancestors <laughs> and oh my God, it felt so powerful in the moment so before we let you go sarah i want to ask you when did you realize there was power in your race oh my god i'm a mess <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh my god, Parable Warrior was just like, God, such a good day. Um, I think every day, every day, there is a new meaning for me in it. Um, so I think I realise there's power in my race every single day. Um, yeah, every, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm just really grateful. So, yeah, thank you guys. It's been a real pleasure to be on this show. Um, yeah, they just can't wait to see what happens next.
Race matters. 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 Race matters.